title of today's message is really spiritual. So let me ask you, what do you think it is that makes somebody really spiritual? What do you think it is, for example, that makes one person, let's say, more spiritual than another person? For the past several weeks, we have been studying the book of Galatians. This is actually a letter which was written by the Apostle Paul way back in the first century to some Christians who were living in the region of Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey. And what we have found, interestingly, as we've been studying this letter over the past you know, several weeks, maybe even a couple months now, is that although this letter is roughly 2,000 years old, it could not be more relevant to where we are at today. It could not be more pertinent to the situations that you and I experience today in 2013. Because here's the deal, over the past 2,000 years, the world has changed a lot. The way that we experience life has changed a lot, right? We've got internet, we've got smartphones, and all kinds of great technology which really enrich, enrich our lives and our experience of life. But here's the thing, none of that technology, none of that development has changed who we are at the core of our beings, right? None of that technology has changed the human heart. We're still basically the same people as they were. And in the core of our being, the very fundamental issues of the heart, we still deal with the same questions, the same issues that people dealt with thousands of years ago. Every culture, every time in history, every place in the world, we're all dealing with the same fundamental questions. And the reason why this book is timeless is because it speaks to those eternal issues of the human heart, of the human nature that we all share in. So that's why we come to this book, that even though it's 2,000 years old, this letter we read today, it speaks to us just in the exact same way it did to them. It speaks to our hearts. So again, let me get back to the question I began with. What is it that makes somebody really spiritual? That is actually the question that Paul the Apostle answers here in Galatians chapter 5. And here's how we're going to break it down for you. No takers, the outliners. Here's, the, here's how we're going to break it down. Start off, number one, we're going to talk about biting fish. Number two, we're going to talk about bearing fruit. And number three, we're going to talk about walking by the Spirit. So biting fish, bearing fruit, and walking by the Spirit. If you have your Bible, please read along with me in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. Paul says to Galatians, and to us, If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is God's Word. Let's begin by talking about biting fish. I, uh, as a guy I follow on Twitter, I don't know if you guys like Twitter, I love Twitter. But as this guy I follow on Twitter, and his whole thing is that he posts fake Christian news, right? So every week he's just posting fake Christian news. So I found this one funny last week. He posted this. He said, Divided Ecumenical Council reluctantly adopts new official symbol, a fish biting the back of another fish. Now that's, uh, you know, humor, the reason humor's funny, right, is because it's painful. The reason that's funny is because it's, it's painfully true. Paul the Apostle tells us in verse 15, If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. You know, in a lot of your Bibles, this verse, verse 15, is actually partitioned off from the rest of the section that I read today. But I want you to realize this, that in the original text, there is no such division. There's a continuity there. And I personally think that it's very important to see that verse 15 actually this verse about Christians biting other Christians and devouring each other, this actually very much ties into the discussion, which comes in the next few verses, of what it is that makes a person really, truly spiritual. And here's what was going on amongst the Galatian Christians. There were some people in the church who thought that they were really spiritual. Why did they think that? Why did they think that they were so spiritual? Here's why. Because they were strict in their religious observance. They were careful to keep the law of God down to a T, even to the point of being circumcised. I mean, that's a kind of extreme, don't you think? And these people, they looked at, it, they, they looked at other people who, in their mind, were not living up to the same standards that they believed that they were living up to, and they looked down on those people. They talked bad about those people behind their backs. Because, why? Because they believed that they were more spiritual. Now, think about Christianity today. Think about the church today. Does that kind of thing ever happen? No, that doesn't happen, right? And we don't have issues like that anymore. They stopped doing that a while back. We don't have those kind of issues in the church, right? People backbiting, people being self-righteous. That doesn't happen. You know, people believing that they're more spiritual than others and because of their religious observance and, and looking down their noses at other people, they need to be less spiritual or less than them, talking bad about them behind their back. That kind of stuff doesn't happen these days, does it? Of course it does. Unfortunately, it does. The world has changed a lot in 2,000 years, but guess what hasn't changed? Us, right? People haven't changed. Human nature hasn't changed. And the same issues that the Galatian Christians face are the same issues that Christians struggle with even today. And here's the bottom line of what Paul is saying to us in this session. He's speaking to those people who consider themselves to be exceedingly spiritual, who because of their spiritual notions of themselves, they actually look down on other people, they backbite, they talk bad about their Christian brothers and sisters, and here's what he says, there's nothing spiritual about being self-righteous. You think you're so spiritual, but listen, there's nothing spiritual about being self-righteous. There's nothing spiritual about being judgmental or condescending towards others. Those behaviors are, are the opposite of spiritual. They're actually what the Bible refers to as carnality. 
Right? Throughout the New Testament, the idea of the spiritual and the carnal, they're contrasted over and over. And here Paul says in, in verse 17, he says, The desires of the flesh are set against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are set against the flesh. They are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. What he's saying is this. There is a war going inside you, going on inside you. There's a battle going on inside of you, right? There are two opposing natures vying for control of you. The spiritual is the person who God created you to be. It is the new nature that you receive by means of the Holy Spirit coming into your life when you are born again through faith in Jesus Christ, through faith in the promise of God and the gospel. The karma, the flesh, right, is that fallen, sinful human nature that we're all born with, that we all have inside of us, right? And in some places in the Bible, these two are referred to by various terms. Some places it's referred to as the natural man as opposed to the spiritual man, the old man, as opposed to the new man. The point is this, there is a battle going on inside of you. You are a torn person, each and every one of us who has put our faith in Christ on some level, we are torn. With two opposing natures vying for control. I don't know if you've ever felt that, if you've ever experienced that, what I'm talking about. That you just have these opposing desires within you, even at the same time. On the one hand, you will want to Please God and live a life that pleases God, but on the other hand, you have these desires to satisfy your flesh in ways that are not pleasing. And the question we face is, which one of these will I yield to? Which one will I yield to? Will I yield to the Spirit of God and be spiritual, or will I yield to the carnal, sinful desire and be fleshly, given to the fallen nature? Romans 8, verse 6 tells us to choose the spiritual because it says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Here's the situation that the legalists believe that they were really spiritual. But Paul says to them, there's nothing spiritual about being self-righteous. There's nothing spiritual about treating others in an unloving way. Those are actually carnal things, is what he's saying. He says, examine your life. Examine the attitudes and the behaviors that characterize your life. And look at where you are spiritually. That is the measure. That is the, the way to gauge it. Is your life characterized by the works of the flesh or by the fruit of the Spirit? And here's what's interesting. Check out this list of the works of the flesh. Uh, this is in verse 19 to 21. It says this. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, virtues, and things like these. Now, now, here's what I want you to see. This is the reason this list is interesting. Who is Paul writing to? Is he writing to, you know, criminals in prison? Is he writing to godless people? No, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to Christians. And guess what? More specifically, He's writing to people who are legalists. In other words, they pride themselves on how much they don't sin, on how much they do for God. And here's the interesting thing. These people, they, they feel that they keep all the rules, even the really not fun rules, right? They keep them all. They're super strict. And these people, you know, they believe that they are spiritual, that other people are carnal. But 
check out what Paul says to them. It's almost funny if you really get the irony of what he's saying. He says, you guys know the, the works of the flesh, right? I mean, they're obvious. He says, they're, they're very obvious what they are. Let's talk about sexual immorality, purity. And at this point, right, at this point, these religious people, what are they saying? They're nodding their heads. Yeah, those are bad things. Those are things that we don't do. Because, you know, we're not like that. We're, we're the spiritual. We don't do immorality. We don't do impurity. So he goes on. And he says, yeah, idolatry. Sorcery again. Yes, we do not do those things. We would never do those things. Those people who do those things, so carnal, right? But then he throws them the curveball, right? And he really hits the nail on the head. This is what he says. Into this list that includes things like immorality and impurity and idolatry and sorcery, what does he say? Enmity and strife, rivalry and division and dissension. You get it? These are the exact things that they're doing. These are the things that these people who consider themselves to be very spiritual are doing. And then he finishes up the last list and he says, you know, drunkenness and orgies and things like that. And here's the point. Into this list of obvious sins, which these Christians would have looked at and said, yeah, those things are really bad. We don't do those things. We will never do those things. Paul inserts the very things that they are doing. He says, Bitterness, strife, rivalry, division, dissension, that is just as carnal as immorality and sorcery and drunkenness. Don't you get it? See, here's the thing, that Christians can tend to have blind spots for certain sins. Say that again, not so much. Christians tend to have blind spots for certain sins. In other words, we tend to think that certain things are super bad, then there are other things which we kind of like, we're more permissive about, right? Let me give you an example. In our church at Agia, we, we always had a lot of new believers. We had these uh, totally unchurched people. And it is very interesting. These are people who never went to church in their lives growing up. Because, you know, growing up during the communist era, they, they, I mean, going to church was very much frowned upon. There were, you know, repercussions if you did. And so many people didn't go. So we, we would have these people who to know the Lord, having never been to church in their life, right? And so the thing was that they didn't know church etiquette, right? And we all kind of intuitively know because we've been around, we've gone to church, you know, even a few times growing up at least. And so, you know, we try to be very gracious with these people because we realize that they've never been to church. They don't know, you know, what we're doing, what we're doing. So we're just real gracious with them as they kind of figure things out. Because the, the point for us was to give them Jesus, not to give them the law, right? So, for example, I used to teach this Monday night church service, and I uh, had this girl who, uh, who started attending, never been to church in her life, and uh, she always asked us, like, so what do we do in here? Like, why do we read the Bible? Why do we? I mean, she really didn't know what was going on. So, I'm preaching one Monday night, and she's sitting there, and she gets a phone call, right? Now, most people, if your phone rings right now, you're going to be a little bit embarrassed and you're going to scramble and turn it off. This girl, she's like, oh, I got a phone call. So she just answers it, just sitting where she's sitting, just like you. You know, she's like, oh, hey, hey, what's up? How's it going? She's having a conversation. I'm standing there preaching. I actually stopped. I'm like, I guess I'll just wait for you, you know? She thought that was totally normal that I would just wait for her. So, and she's like, yeah, I'm at this uh, Christian meeting. There's this guy talking. It's actually really cool. You should check it out. All right, I'll call you later. All right, bye. You know, she just, I mean, 
She didn't know, she didn't know the etiquette, right? And we were just, we were just trying to be gracious to these people. And this other lady, this is one of my favorites, an Edgar, she would attend our church, and the first few times that she came to church, she sat in the back of the room, and as I began preaching, she just started smoking, right? <laughs> she just smoked throughout the whole sermon, just chain smoking. She, I guess she was feeling pretty comfortable uh, in our church. And, you know, she's just, uh, you know, feeling good, and sitting near a window seemed like a good thing to do, so she just smoked the whole time, you know? Uh, but here's the one that I was really wanting to tell you about. We had this lady at our church who got saved when she was she was like 30 years old. And she was a little bit rough around the edges. You know, she grew up in a village, you know, real uh, kind of rough, you know, circumstances growing up. So anyway, she comes to the church and gets sick. Her name is I, right? And, uh, and when she started coming to the church, man, she cussed like a sailor. Like, <laughs> she cussed like crazy, like all the time. She was, uh, she, but here's the interesting thing, is that from the moment we shared the gospel with her, she gave her life to the Lord, and she loved Jesus, like, for real, like, from her heart, and she was so excited and so enthusiastic, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen that new believer, if you've been that new believer at some point in your life, who, for everything is just exciting and new, and, and you're enthused all the time, right, and she would sit in church during worship, and she would cry, because she was just so moved that she had been forgiven, that she had been loved by God, that he came to save her and give her life. She would just cry and weep, raise her hands, you know? And then during Bible study, she's giving herself carpal tunnel, like, you ask me to slow down, please, and repeat things, because she just can't write it all down. She would, like, I remember after she came into the church, she went back and listened to every sermon I ever preached, and she would write notes about it. She started this blog, and she would, like, write notes about my sermons on the internet, right? And uh, she was just so into it. But the thing was, Every time she opened her mouth, I just like this foulness came out of her words, right? You're like, whoa, this is odd, you know? And she really freaked out everybody in our church because, you know, you know, they just think as Christians, they're just some words that we don't use, right? And you're not like, afraid to ask her how her week was because she's like, you know, I'm part of it, not going. And you're afraid to let her share her prayer request in church because if she's going to share it, you'll be sincere, but. You gotta be ready, you know what I'm saying? You should pull on your chair. Uh, and so, you know, she got saved for real in our church. And, and I guess when you've been cussing all the time for 30 years, it's really hard to just change in an instant, right? Just all of a sudden, I don't talk like that anymore. You're asking her to change what she's been doing for decades. Uh, I just saw her, though, you know, when I was back in that year, and I, I do want you to know that she, she really doesn't talk like that anymore. I guess she's gotten used to our church. Sure, I guess. But, but there was a time, really, right after she got saved, this is pretty hardcore, right? I remember Rosemary, you know, she, she spoke here in something, but, you know, because she had learned it in church, talking to people, there were certain words that she didn't know. So we'd be, like, talking at church, and Rosemary would be like, I said, well, I didn't understand that. What does that word mean? And people like, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Rosemary just realized that every word that she didn't know, Probably learned that she didn't need to know. But uh, the interesting thing was that, again, this lady is so sincere in her love for the Lord. And my attitude about it was and is that I am going to point her to Jesus. That's my job. I am going to point her to Jesus. And as she grows as a Christian, the Holy Spirit is going to 
convince her about all kinds of stuff, including her choice of words. I don't need to be the Holy Spirit. I just point her to Jesus, right? You know, remember what we talked about a few weeks ago? Paul said, having begun in the Spirit, are you now going to be perfected by the law? Are you going to be perfected in the flesh? Have you been saved by grace? Should I not seek to perfect people by giving them a law? That's what Paul's saying in Galatians, saying no. That the way, this is the key here of what we're talking about today, the way to become less carnal and more spiritual is not by the law, but it is by walking in the Spirit. We're going to talk more about that. But back to the story of the study here. At the same time that I was getting saved in church and, you know, having talking like a sailor and everything, I had this other lady in the church. She didn't cuss because she's a Christian, right? But you know what she did do? She gossiped like crazy. Like crazy, man. And I had, it is one of these things where she was one of these people criticized by the people, tearing them down with her words all the time. And so many people, you know that they're talking bad about you because they're always talking bad about other people and those people are around. And, uh, you know, she's one of those biting fish that, that Paul's talking about here. And, uh, but you know, here's the thing. She didn't cuss because she was a Christian. Do you get what I'm saying about blind spots? We can tend to have blind spots in our Christian culture. Some things we consider terrible. Other things we're just very permissive about. But in God's mind, it shouldn't be that way. So anyway, one day this lady comes up to me. She says, I need to talk to you about Aggie. I don't think Aggie's really a Christian because she cusses. And Christian shouldn't do that. And I actually, I asked this lady right there. I said, well, I want you to think about this. Uh, who is Aggie hurting by talking the way that she does? Well, of course it makes us all feel very uncomfortable. Uh, but ultimately, she's just making herself look bad. She's really just staring down herself by using those kind of words, right? But on the other hand, think about you. Who are you hurting by tearing down other people with your words, by gossiping, by backbiting? You're tearing down all kinds of people. You're being very destructive. And honestly, I told this lady, I'm more worried about you than I am about God. Cussing isn't good, but you know what? Neither is using your words to tear down other people. Right? They're, they're both wrong. One is definitely more destructive than the other. You see, as Christians, we can tend to have blind spots for certain sins. We tend to see some things as really bad. And man, we don't do those things because we're not like those people who do that stuff. But yet we have blind spots for other things, which, which and this is the point Paul's making with this list. To God, those things are just as grievous. Just as grievous. Look at what, what Paul, the guys Paul's addressing in this letter, he's saying, they're, they're, the guys are saying, yeah, we're spiritual because we are not immoral sexually. We are not involved in sorcery. Paul says, okay, but are you bitter and divisive? Is there enmity and strife amongst you? Because guess what, guys? That's just as common. And notice how he finishes it up. He says, those who do such things will not inherit Remember, he's speaking to the people who think that they're very spiritual. He says, guess what, guys? If you do these things, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's huge, right? He's throwing down a gauntlet for these gods. He's essentially saying, you who think you're so spiritual, don't forget this. To treat other people unlovingly, that's just as carnal 
as more That's something that all of us need to search our hearts about. That's something that I search my heart about uh, in regard to other First John chapter 4, verse 20 and 21, it says this. He who does not love his brother, whom he cannot, or whom he has seen, so he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this command we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And here's the bottom line. What is it that makes somebody really spiritual? The true measure of spirituality, the fruit of walking in step with the Holy Spirit, yielding to the Spirit and not to the flesh. Here it is. The love of God exuding from your life. That is the measure of spirituality. That is what makes a person spiritual. Notice that he lists the works of the flesh. That's a plural word in the original language. The works of the flesh, and then he gives a list of them. But notice what he says in your Bible, so you'll say the fruit of the Spirit. That's a singular word in the original text. The fruit of the Spirit. So works is plural, but fruit is one. And here's the deal. What is the fruit of the Spirit? What is the evidence of the measure of the Holy Spirit's activity and presence in your life? Here's what it is. Love. That is the measure. That is the true measure of spirituality. The word, therefore, love is the Agape, which is the strongest word for love that exists, and it is the love of God. All these other words that come after that word, love, these are words which describe the fruit of the Spirit. They're words that describe how love is manifested and worked out practically in your life. Love, right? It's the peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These are the, the way it works out self in your life, because God's love is a love that works. It's not a love that is static, it's a love that impacts, it changes us. And these are the ways it changes us. These are the manifestations of the fruit, love in our lives. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So let us not be biting fish as we consume each other. You know, the great danger is, and this is what Paul's pointing out here, is that even as Christians, we have the capacity to be used for the work of Satan rather than the work of God. Isn't that a serious thing to think about? Do you remember what happened to Peter? I'll just sum it up for you. Check, check this out. If you guys your Bible, turn that Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is sitting with his disciples. Caesarea Philippi is the place. And he asks his disciples, Who do you say that I am? They say, Well, you know, some people say, that you're Elijah. Some people say you're a prophet. Some people say this is not Jesus, but who do you say that I am? And Peter responds. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, God. And he goes, you know what? God revealed that to you. Not any man, but God has spoken to you. You've heard the voice of God. He says, you, Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will never overcome it. That's pretty great, right? It's pretty significant. But guess what happens immediately after that? Jesus, it says, immediately began telling his disciples that he would go to Jerusalem where he would be crucified. And what does Peter say to him? He says, no way, Lord. I will never let that happen. I will not let that happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He says, you are a hindrance to me. The same man, he said, I will build the church. I'm going to use you to build my church. God has been speaking to you. 
you've been hearing the voice of God that says, get behind you, say, you are a hindrance to me. And he says, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, not on the things of man. These two things happen within like five minutes of each other, right? On the one, in the one instance, the same man, he's hearing from God, he's being used by God, and five minutes later, he's being used by Satan to hinder the work of God, and Jesus rebukes him. And here's the point, here's why it's interesting. It shows us that you and I, all of us, we have the capacity to in one moment be hearing from God, be used by God in a significant way, and in the very next moment, be used by Satan to oppose the work of God. That's a serious thing, don't you think? I'm guessing it's the same with you, but I never want to be in the sewer. I never want to be used by Satan for his purposes, but if it happened to Peter, then it can certainly happen to me if I'm not aware of vision keeping my eyes open. So how can we be sure that that doesn't happen? How can we ensure that we are walking in step with the Spirit of God, not being carnal, and actually hindering the work of God? How can we ensure that that doesn't happen? That brings us to our second point, and that is this, bearing fruit. If we want our lives to be characterized by bearing fruit of the Spirit rather than the works of the flesh, how can we ensure that to happen? How can we become really spiritual rather than karma. Hurting ourselves and hurting others and hindering the work of God. Jesus actually talked about that very thing in John chapter 15. If you have your Bible, please open that with me to John chapter 15. And then we're going to read a series of verses through John 15, where Jesus talks about bearing fruit. In John 15, verses 1 through 5, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. What is the secret to bearing fruit? The secret is abiding in him. What does it mean to abide? It means to be connected, to stay close, to dwell. And the point is this. If you stay connected to Jesus, you will bear the fruit of the Spirit. My neighbor has this big apple tree. My kids love apples. Well, imagine one day I start thinking, man, you know what would be nice is if we had some apples of our own, so I didn't always have to go over to the neighbor's house. So I go out there with a saw, and I just saw off one of the branches of this apple tree, and I bring it in my living room. I say, guess what, kids? Now, from now on, we're just going to have apples to eat all the time, right? Fresh apples every day. It's just going to be growing and sprouting. It's going to be Obviously, that wouldn't work because as soon as you cut the branch off from the source of life, it dries up, it withers, the fruit falls off, and no more fruit is produced. In the same way, Jesus is saying, I am the source of life. As long as you are connected to me, you will bear fruit. It's a simple fact. But if you're cut off from me, you won't. The fruit is the result of being connected to him. Now, think about this metaphor of fruit. It's an interesting one. Think about organic growth. Fruit grows gradually, right? You never see fruit growing. If you go out and sit in your yard and try to watch a fruit tree, you're just going to be really low, right? And uh, because you can never see fruit growing, you can only measure it after a time. It is the same way with the fruit of the Spirit. Most of the time, you do not notice that growth is happening in your life. But after a while, you're able to look back and see, hey, wow, I've really grown a lot. You're able to see how much you've grown in love and, and goodness and faithfulness and joy and kindness and patience. And 
self-control. The neglect opposite is also true. When a plant is withering, you can't see it happen in the moment. You can only see that it has happened after a certain amount of time. And the same is true when a person is not abiding in Christ. When they are not yielding, when they are, let's say this, they are yielding to the flesh rather than to the spirit. In that moment, they may not feel that anything is deteriorating. They may not feel that anything is withering. They don't feel that they're withering spiritually. But after a time, it will you know, become very obvious to them that that has happened. And so because of that, it's important that we abide in Him. Because fruit grows, grows gradually. You don't feel it. You don't see it happening in the moment. But that brings us to the next thing about fruit, is that fruit grows inevitably. If a branch is connected to a vine, then it is inevitable that fruit will grow. Another important thing about fruit is that it will grow if we stay connected to Jesus, right? That's the love of God just flowing into our lives and overflowing out from us. It's the fruit that brings glory to God. In verse 8, Jesus says this, in the Son, John chapter 15, he says this, By this my Father is glorified that he bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So here's, here's how we're going to do this. What is the secret to bearing fruit? The secret to bearing fruit is abiding in him. What's the secret to abiding? Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and I abide in his love. The secret to bearing fruit is abiding. The secret to abiding is obeying. The way to practically abide in Christ is to obey him. But then this. What is the secret to obeying God? Go back one more chapter. Chapter 14. We'll read verse 23. Jesus speaks to his disciples and says this, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our own You get what I'm saying? Here's the secret to abiding. The secret to bearing fruit is abiding. The secret to abiding is obeying. The secret to obeying is, Jesus said, loving. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. It's not, if anyone loves me, he should keep my word. If anyone loves me, they better keep my word. No, he says, if anyone loves me, they will keep my word. It's just if you love him, you will keep his word because you love him. You come to know how good he is. You want to listen. So the secret to obeying is loving. What is the secret to loving God? How do you grow in the love of God? Verse 15, back in chapter 15. Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've given to you. The secret of loving God is knowing to know him is to love him. The more you get to know him, the more you will grow in love for him. The more you grow in love for him, the more you will obey him. The more you obey him, the more you will abide in him. The more you abide in him, the more you will bear fruit. The more you bear fruit, the more you will glorify him. If you want to bring God glory, then abide in him by obeying him, which will make you naturally, which will, I'm sorry, which will naturally happen if you love him. How do you get to love him to knowing him? How do you get to know him better? I guess that's what all the is about This is at the root of how do we bear fruit is getting to know him better. How do we do that? By seeking him, by spending time with him. He has revealed himself to us in his word. He has opened his heart to us that we might seek him in prayer. To know him is to love him. To love him is to obey him. To obey him is to abide in him. 
to abide in him is to bear much fruit, and to bear much fruit is to bring him glory. If you want to bring him glory, if you want to bear much fruit, here's the key. Get to know him. Spend time getting to know him. In his words, seeking his face, get to know him. That's why we spend so much time here at Whitefield studying the Bible, because we want to know him. Because as we get to know him, we grow in love for him. As we grow in love for him, we will obey him naturally. As we obey him, we abide in him and bear fruit. That's the full story. Through the Spirit, the, the measure of God's love in us that we are tapped into, overflowing from our lives, that is the true measure of spirituality. And this is our final point. I'm going to wrap it up here. What makes a person really spiritual? It's all about walking by the Spirit. You know, it's my conviction, it's been my experience as a Christian, that the Christian life is truly the most dynamic, exciting, fulfilling way to live that exists. And if, if somebody is not experiencing Christianity in that way, it's because they're not living it to the fullest degree. They're living it with one foot in and one foot out, right? They're only partially in. Paul talks about three times here this idea of walking by the Spirit. In verse 16, he says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify them. Desires of the flesh. In verse 18 says, If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. In verse 25 it says, If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I believe that the idea of keeping in step with the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, is very closely tied to the idea of abiding in Christ. It means saying connected to Him, seeking Him, communing with Him throughout the day, being yielded to Him, and letting Him lead you in your life. And I said a minute ago that. Abiding in Christ is all about yielding to Him, not obeying His leading and guiding throughout your life as you go about your life. That's what it means practically also to abide in Him. It means to keep in step with the Spirit. Abiding with the Lord throughout your day, obeying the leading of the Spirit, doing what God tells you to do moment by moment. Whether that means calling someone on the phone who needs a word of encouragement, Taking five minutes to, to pray and see the Lord, whether it means doing something practical to help somebody else. You just obey the leading of the Lord and the Spirit in your life, day to day, moment by moment. And if you do that, if you live in that way, what you'll find is that that is the most impactful, most exciting, dynamic life that there is. And the other very important part of walking by the Spirit, which actually brings us back to where we started, is this. Abiding in Christ is. It's not only that you will bear fruit in him if you abide in him, but verse 16, if you go back there, it says this. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So it brings us back to where we started. What makes somebody really spiritual? What really makes somebody spiritual? What makes them truly spiritual? Who brings glory to God, who builds up others, rather than just being another carnal person who destroys themselves and tears down others. Here's the answer. Here's what makes somebody really spiritual. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Abide in Him throughout the day, throughout the week. Keep in step with Him. Seek Him. Stay connected to Him. And as you do that, you simply will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And why? You'll be too busy walking in step with the Holy Spirit. You'll be too busy seeking Him to have time to gratify the desires of the flesh. As you do that, you will grow and you will bear much fruit. 
the love of God being poured into you will overflow out of your life towards others, and you will bring in much glory. May that be true of us. Amen? Let's stand. Lord, we pray today, as we gather in your name, Lord, that you would make us really spiritual people. Lord, open our eyes to the blind spots that we have for certain things. Lord, that are serious to you. I pray that you would help us that we would be truly spiritual, Lord, that really we would have the influx of your love, we would be connected to you, and your love would be coming into us and flowing out from us, building up others bringing you much glory. Lord, may that be true of our lives. Lord, I want to pray for anybody who's here today who has not yet committed their life to you, who has not made you not only Savior of their life, but Lord of their life, who has not submitted to you as Lord and made you the Lord of their life. Lord, I pray for anyone here today who that would speak up. And I pray that today, as we seek your, your face, as we see your goodness, as we about the greatness of your love and the glorious gospel, that, that those people who are amongst us today who are not yet given their lives to you, that they would do so. And Lord, we just ask that you would bless us this weekend, bless us as we go out from here. And Lord, may we abide in you, may we walk in step in the Spirit, that you might flow into us and flow out from us. For your glory, in Jesus' name.